Section 20 of The Wit and Humor of America, Volume 5. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Kenneth Sargent Gagan. The Strike of One by Elliot Flower. Danny Burke was discharged. Now, a certain distinguished ex-president of the United States would probably have said that he was discharged for pernicious activity. But the head of the branch messenger office merely said that he was a infernal nuisance. Danny was a good union man. As a matter of fact, he was a boy, and a small boy at that. But he would have scorned any description that did not put him down as a good union man. Danny's environment had been one of uncomprising unionism, and that was what ailed him. He wanted to advance the union idea. To this end, he undertook to organize the other messengers in the branch office, advancing all the arguments that he had heard his mother and father use in their discussions. The boys thought favorably of the scheme, but most of them were inclined to let someone else do the experimenting might result disastrously. Just to encourage them, though, Danny became insolent, as he had already become inattentive. He told the manager what he would do and what he would not. Positively declined to deliver a message that would carry his work a few minutes beyond quitting time. Then Danny was discharged. And he laughed. Discharge him? Well, he'd show them a thing or two. We'll arbitrate, he announced. Get out, ordered the manager. You got to arbitrate, insisted Danny. You got to confer with your man, and you're going to have a strike. Danny had heard so much about conferences that he felt he was on safe ground now. We can't stand for no autocrats, he added. You got to meet your men and fair talk it over. A committee. Get out, repeated the manager rising from his desk near which the waiting boys were seated. Men, yelled Danny, I calls a strike and a boycott. Two of the boys rose uh, to follow him, but the manager was too quick. He had Danny by the collar before Danny knew what had happened, and the struggling boy was marched to the door and pushed out. The boys who had risen promptly subsided. Danny was too astonished for words and all his extended hearsay knowledge of strikes, he had never heard of anything like this. There was nothing heroic in it at all. He had expected a conference, and, and instead he was manhandled and thrusted into the street. Danny sat down on a pile of paving stones to think it over. Without reasoning the matter out, he now regarded himself as a union. The other members had deserted him, but he was on strike, and Somehow he had observed the idea that the men who were striking were always the union men. So, this being a strike of one, he was an entire union. It didn't take him long to decide that this was the first thing to do was to pick at the plant. That was a familiar phrase, and he knew the meaning of it. Everything was nicely arranged for him, too. The street was being paved, and he was sitting on some paving stones with a pile of gravel beside him. He selected fifteen or twenty of the largest stones from the gravel pile, 
a woman was the first victim as she was about to enter the messenger's office she was startled by a yelling of warning from danny hey you he shouted keep out she backed away hastily and looked up to see if anything were about to fall on her why should i keep out she asked at last because you'll get hit with a rock if you don't was the prompt reply but little boy she began i ain't a little boy asserted danny i'm a union the woman looked puzzled but she finally decided that this was some boyish joke oh you better run home she said and turned to enter the messenger office she could not refrain from looking over her shoulder however and she saw that she was poised for a throw don't do that she cried hastily you might hurt me sure i'll hurt you i'll smash your block in if you don't get a move on the woman decided to look for another messenger office and danny triumph resumed his seat on the paving stones then came another messenger returning from a trip what's the matter danny he asked got the plant picketed asserted danny nobody can go in or come out i'm going in said the other boy you exclaimed danny scornfully as he suddenly caught the boy and swung him over on the stones no i ain't danny the boy hastened to say for danny gave every evidence of an intent to batter in his face sure asked danny honest there's a strike here explained danny oh i didn't know that apologized the boy i ain't a strike breaker danny let him up but made him sit on another pile of stones a short distance away he would be all right as long as he kept still while danny was continuing strike operations with a rapid growing enthusiasm the woman he had first stopped was taking an unexpected part in the little comedy she had gone to another of the branch offices with the message she wished to deliver and had told of the trouble she had experienced thereupon the manager of this office called up the manager of the other office on the telephone what's the matter over there he asked nothing was the surprised reply who said there was why a woman had just reported that she was driven away by a boy with a pile of stones therefore the manager hastened to the window and realized at once that something was decidedly wrong on a pile of paving stones directly in front of the door sat the proud and happy danny at his feet there was a pile of small stones and he held a few in his hands on his right was a boy who had started on a trip a short time before and on his left was one who should have reported back a man was gesticulating excitedly a number of others and some boys were laughing and danny seemed to be intimidating that anyone who tried to enter would be hurt jim said the manager to the largest messenger go out there and see what's the matter with danny burke tell him i'll have him arrested if he doesn't get out of here danny was a wise general he wanted no prisoners that he could not handle easily and this big boy would be dangerous to have within his lines the big boy was a sort of star messenger who did not fraternize with danny anyhow consequently danny fired a volley the moment he saw who it was and the big boy hastily retreated bearing with him one bump on the forehead that's jim danny explained to the increasing crowds he's the biggest next to the boss watch me nail the boss you're the stuff exclaimed some of the delighted loiterers thus providing that the loiterers are just as anxious to see trouble in a small strike 
was in a large one. Danny picked out a stone considerably larger than the others, for he expected the manager to appear next, and the manager had incurred his personal enemy. In the case of his victim thus far, he had acted merely on principle to win his point. Then the manager appeared, for his own prestige, necessary to main discipline. The manager had to do something, but he felt reasonably sure that the dignity of his official position would make Danny less hasty and strenuous than he had been with the others. The manager planned to extend the olive branch, and at the same time raise the siege by beckoning Danny in, so that he might reason with him and show him how surely he would land in a police station if he would not consent to be a good boy. This would be quicker and better than summoning an officer, but the manager got the big stone in the pit of his stomach just as he had raised his hand to beckon, and he and his dignity collapsed together with a most plebeian grunt. As he had not closed the door, he quickly rolled inside where he lay on the floor with his hands on his stomach and listened to the joyous yelps of the crowd outside. This was too much for the manager. Call up the police headquarters, he said, still holding his stomach as if fearful that it might become detached, and tell them there's a riot here. The boy addressed obeyed literally. Meanwhile, Danny had decided that, as victory perched on his banners, it was time to state the terms of which he would permit the enemy to surrender. But he was too wise to put himself in the enemy's power before these terms were settled. Go in, Tim, was the order he gave to one of his prisoners, and tell the guy with a stomach ache that when he recognizes the union and gives me fifty cents more a week and makes a workday end when the clock strikes, I'm willing to call it off. Make him come down handsome, advised one of the loiterers. I guess I got him on the run, said Danny exultantly. But Tim went in and failed to come out. This was not Tim's fault, however, for the manager released his hold on his stomach long enough to get a grip on Tim's collar. The striker's defiance seemed to displease him, and because he could not shake Danny, he shook Tim, and he said things to Tim that he would have preferred to say to Danny. Then his excited harangue was interrupted by the sound of a gong, which convinced him that he might again venture into the door. Danny was in the grasp of the strong arm of the law. A half-dozen policemen had violently rushed through the crowd and captured the entire besieging party, which, of course, was Danny. "'What are you doing?' demanded Danny angrily. "'What are you doing?' retorted the police sergeant in charge. "'There's a strike here,' asserted Danny. "'I got the plant picketed.' "'Run him in,' ordered the manager from the doorway. "'What's the row?' asked the sergeant. "'That's the row,' said the manager, pointing to Danny. "'That?' exclaimed the sergeant scornfully. "'You said it was a riot. "'You don't call that kid a riot, do you?' "'Well, it's assault and battery, anyhow,' insisted the manager. "'He hit me with a rock.' "'Where?' asked the sergeant. "'Where he carries his brains,' said Danny, "'which made the crowd yelp with joy again. "'Lock him up,' cried the manager angrily. "'I'll prefer the charge and appear against him.' "'Well, the sergeant looked at Danny, "'and then he looked at the manager. "'Say,' he said at last, "'you ain't got the nerve to charge this kid with assault in you, "'have you?' "'I'm going to do it,' said the manager. "'All right, all right,' returned the sergeant disgustedly. The crowd was disposed to protest, but the police were in sufficient force to make resistance unsafe, and 
Danny was lifted into the patrol wagon. At the station, the captain happened to be present when Danny was brought in, escorted by a wagon load of policemen. "'What's the charge?' asked the captain. "'Assault and battery of a grown man,' was the scornful reply of the sergeant. "'What did he do?' persisted the surprised captain. "'He hurt his digestion with a rock,' explained the sergeant. "'I was on strike,' said Danny. "'I'm a good union man. You got no business to touch me.' "'Oh, I understand,' said the sergeant. "'That was his discharge, and he stationed himself outside with a pile of rocks.' "'You've no right to do that,' the captain told Danny. "'They all do it,' asserted Danny. This was so near the truth that the captain thought it wise to dodge the subject. "'Of course, if no one else will take a man's place,' he explained, "'the employer will have to take him back, or there wasn't nobody trying to take my place.' "'Not while I was there,' asserted Danny belligerently. "'That's no lie, either,' laughed the sergeant. "'He had the office tied up tight.' Danny swelled with pride at this testimonial to his prowess. Then it suddenly occurred to him that the sergeant did not act as he talked. "'What you butt in for, then?' he demanded. "'It was his duty,' said the captain. "'Oh!' exclaimed Danny. "'It was your business to protect the public, ain't it?' "'Of course,' admitted the captain. "'Well, ain't we the public?' The captain laughed uneasily. His experience as a policeman had left him very much in doubt as to who were the public. Both sides to a controversy always claimed that distinction, and the lawbreaker was usually the louder in his claims. Danny's inability to see anything but his own side of the case was far from unusual. The captain took Danny into his private office and talked to him. The captain did not wish to lock up the boy, so he sent for Danny's father and also for the manager of the branch messenger office. Well, he tried to explain the matter to Danny, but Danny was obtuse. Why should not he do as his father and his father's friends did when they had disagreement with the boss? They picketed the plant, and suing incidents sent many people to the hospital. Why was it worse for one boy to do this than it was for hundreds or thousands of men? Danny was confident that he was within his rights. Dad knows, he said in conclusion, "'Dad'll say I'm right. You've got no business mixing in.' "'Well, Dad's coming,' the captain told him. The manager came first. "'The boy ought to be punished,' said he. "'He hit me with a rock.' "'I'd wish you'd seen him,' said the beaming Danny to the captain. "'For the recollection of that victory made all else seem trivial. "'Say, he doubled up like a clown dropping into a barrel.' "'If he isn't punished,' asserted the manager, "'he'll get worse and worse and end up by going to the devil.' Oh, perhaps, replied the captain, but just stand beside him a moment. Please, don't dodge, Danny. He'll go behind the bars if he touches you. Stand side by side. So they did so. Now, said the captain to the manager, how do you think you'll look standing beside him in the police court and accusing him of assault and battery? Like a fool, replied the manager promptly, forced to laugh in spite of himself. And what kind of story? illustrated story. Will it be for the papers? persisted the captain. Oh, let him go, said the manager. But he ought to be whaled. Now it was at this point that Dan arrived, accompanied by his wife. But why should he be whaled? demanded the latter aggressively. 
the matter was explained to her. Is that true, Danny? she asked. Sure, replied the boy. Well, I'd like to see. Anyway, outside the family, where you? she said, with a defiant look at the manager. But I'll do it myself. Danny was astounded. In this quarter, at least, he had expected support. He glanced at his father. I'll take a lick or two at you myself, said Dan. The idea of breaking the law and making all this trouble. You've done it yourself, argued Danny. Oh, shut up, commanded Dan. You don't know what you're talking about. A striking was thing and a disorderly conduct another. This was a strike, insisted Danny. So where's the union? demanded Dan. I'm it, replied Danny. I was organized it. If you let him go, Captain, said Dan, ignoring his son's reply, I'll wail him up good. For what? cried Danny. I was only doing what you said was right, and what Mom said was right, and what you've all been talking for years. You've been a picket yourself, and I've heard you laugh over the way men who wouldn't strike was done up. We got to organize. Wasn't I organizing? We got to enforce our rights. Wasn't I enforcing them? We got to discourage traitors to the cause of labor. Wasn't I discouraging in them? Didn't the union tie up a plant once when you were discharged? What's eating you, Dad? Danny's own presentation of the case was so strong that it gave him courage. But the last question made Dan jump. Although he was not accustomed to any extraordinary show of respect from his son, the lad has no sense. But I'll lair up him good. You get an extra one for that, Danny. I'll I'll teach you you're not running things. Making trouble for your father and mother and to a good man that's paying your wages we need at home. Now, what do you think of that? whimpered Danny, as he was led away. I'm to be licked for doing what he does. Why doesn't he teach himself the same and stop others from doing what he talks? Danny said the captain. You're to be licking for learning your lesson too well, and that's the truth. But that didn't make the situation any less painful for Danny. End of the Strike of One Recording by Kenneth Sergeant Gagan